One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. On Commons People this week. When we leave the European Union, we will be leaving the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. But will it? The government sets out its Brexit plans. In, in many ways, I just think we're in danger of losing something that we don't actually realise and value enough at the moment. No, we're not. It's a bellion. Well, I'm may Mrs May live forever. Amen, amen, alleluia, alleluia, amen. Jacob Rees-Mogg is the next Tory leader. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. Yes, we're back slightly earlier than we planned because, to be honest with you, we thought, why the hell not? Some stuff has actually been happening. This week, I am joined by Paul War and Kate Forrester. How are you, chaps? Hello, hello, hello. Not bad, thanks. We couldn't keep How away, could we, basically? We it's, just, it's just too, it's just too, too keen. It's addictive. Um, so anyway, let's, let's crack on because in a flurry of activity that no one anticipated, the government has been releasing a veritable smorgasbord of documents mm, on what it wants out word. of the Brexit negotiations. Data sharing, the Irish border, customs arrangements and the return of legal powers are just some of the issues covered in the seven papers published over the past couple of weeks. Last week, the talk was about the customs arrangements, more of that later, but this week the focus was on ending the jurisdiction of the European Courts of Justice in the UK after Brexit. Here's Justice Minister Dominic Raab setting out one possible future arrangement. Ultimately, drawing on international practice and the EU's own practice with independent third countries, I think the, the likely outcome is that we'll need some form of arbitration. So Dominic Raab there, who was talking about, as we heard, this possible arbitration panel, we have one, they have one, they both agree on a third one. And a lot of the talk has been that the word direct jurisdiction, the word direct has been stuck in front of the word jurisdiction. Theresa May always said... And we heard the clip in the intro that she wanted to end the jurisdiction of the ECJ. And now it's all about ending the direct jurisdiction of the ECJ. Now, why is that significant? Is it significant? Well, I think, actually, you have to look at the bigger picture here. What's been going on in the last couple of weeks is the government has been using the lull in summer to get its message across about Brexit. And they really quite canny in media terms. They're putting out these papers every other day. They're getting loads of coverage for them, making it look like there's lots of activity, lots of really amazing high-powered brain work and detail. Um, but this example just shows you, actually, um, how difficult and how complex the whole Brexit thing is. Because... Yeah, Britain and a lot of people, the, the Tories say, voted not just about um, British sovereignty, but sovereignty over our laws. We want to make our own laws. We don't want Brussels to make our or European courts make our laws. That's the basic point. And this paper is trying to sort of square the circle of saying, well, actually, if we really want to keep trade and other, and, and other legal safe, uh, safeguards for Britain, then you've got to have something very similar. You've got to have someone to arbitrate over disputes, over whether it's divorce, real divorce, real people, or divorce in terms terms of our divorce from Europe. So it's really been interesting the way it's been pitched. Obviously, a lot of the, the Eurosceptic papers have liked it. Brussels has been pretty down on it. But on this, this particular issue, I think actually to give the government some credit, it sounds like it's edging towards what couldn't be the only solution. We can't be 
ruled by the European Court of Justice if we're outside uh, the EU, really, because I'm not sure politically it would work. But if you have something quite similar in indirect control, then people might actually go for that. Is the problem not what the government are putting forward now, which I agree seems to be quite sensible and quite realistic, and it puts forward a range of different options, which basically says, look, if we enter into a trade agreement with the EU, we need someone to rule that we're sticking to our side of the agreement, right? Or if we were then to suddenly bring in the law in the UK which contradicts the agreement, there needs to be a way of everyone getting around the table and talking about it. And that might involve a judge from the ECJ, might be one of those people. So this is all perfectly sensible. Is the problem not what they're coming up with now, but what Theresa May said back in the Lancaster House speech and the rhetoric that she started probably from about sort of Tory conference last year, there's such hardcore red lines that, that she's put forward on things like customs, on things like this, which actually makes what they're doing now, which I think is quite sensible, look like a climb down when it's not. What do you think about that, Kate? Yeah, I mean, this the courts issue in particular is one of the, it's very much one of the we want our country back issues, wasn't it? That, that yeah. Brexiters were, were really sort of passionate about. Um, and yeah, it does seem quite sensible. And I think... Her red lines seem to be getting increasingly blurred, as you said. Pink lines. Pink lines. Purple, even. Yeah, diluted but, but lines. I remember when they, when they produced the white paper way back, I think it was in February, just after the Lancaster House speech, it was January, and they said, Britain's always been sovereign, but hasn't always had the, the appearance of being sovereign. No, it's not felt like we were sovereign. And this is kind of playing to that, that actually we're not going to have, there's going to be some difference, but we're still, you know, we could st- the fact that we're leaving the EU shows that we're sovereign, right? The fact that we're, yeah. Brexit's happening shows that we've always been sovereign, right? So, in a way, this is just another sort of yeah. slight caveat. But what's been interesting about all these papers, and you've been in the room, yeah. is that you've had government officials briefing you on the detail of this. Yes. What's that been like? Do you want to tell our listeners a bit what it's like? Because actually, at sometimes the terms of trade on these things are you, you're allowed to say, well, you're not, you can't refer to them, in fact, the, the civil servants doing this. You certainly can't name them. It's all sort of okay unattributable. About it now, <laughs> it's all unattributable. But the point I was going to make was that on this whole issue of actually judges could have some sort of say in the interim period, that was an official. Now, we were told you couldn't tell you it was an official, but all the broadcasters, a lot of the newspapers today did indeed say a government official has confirmed that actually we may well have a European judge yeah. who still has a say over over our legal affairs in this interim period. So the way that these briefings work is that we got invited to, they were hosted in the Foreign Office, and we got invited to a load of journalists, and uh, we were given 10 minutes to read these documents and all the different range of things of every other day. And then the officials came in, and we had half an hour to quiz them. And these officials have been working on these documents for one assumes quite a while and we had just like 10 minutes to go through <laughs> these really technical things and try and pull out the differences and half right, the time and they say crisis yeah half, half the time you just want to stick your hand up and go can you tell us where the mistake is please it'd be yeah. a lot easier <laughs> but but you know the first bit of the papers if you go online and read them it's all about how they want this to be a special partnership so you can kind of forget all of that you just skip all that and you get to the meat of it and you try and find the contradictions and the inconsistencies and luckily there's some really smart journalists in Westminster <laughs> of which I am not one who really understand the European law and stuff so they they you sort of lead with they go with the questions and stuff and then there's people who are very good at taking it right down into the real well, how does this affect people and that's when you've got the story that you might have seen about how uh, when you have real divorce now and uh, and say you're married to a French woman and then she takes the child to France and you're getting divorced it's now more difficult to get that child back into the UK and so that's like real concrete examples yeah um, so, so it was a really it was really very intense going through these papers but the ones that were the most interesting were the 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 ECJ one, when it talked about these different possible arrangements you could have. The Northern Irish-Irish border one, which was 
just frankly bizarre to read because <laughs> it basically says there's going to be no border, but we're still going to have different customs rules and and and, it's, and no, it will be all right. In there's the night no, kind of there's literally no idea of how it's going to work in practice. And then the customs arrangement one was brilliant because they thought if we just keep putting the word streamlining into the document, <laughs> it will somehow be okay. Didn't you count it or something? I, no, no, I don't think I went that far. I can't mm. count. But it was one of those things where it literally was like we're going to have a streamlined arrangement where things will be streamlined and things will move quickly and frictionless thanks to the streamlined arrangement. And it was like. I know. Well, it's just you a good example, actually, of how words can blind you in this whole debate. Mm. Frictionless sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. But actually, what the hell does it mean? And how is it going to be implemented? And that's why I think, actually, there's been a healthy dose of scepticism from Brussels. And ultimately, if you step back from all this, basically, a lot of this is just a wish list. This is us begging Europe, saying, look, we really want to have as close as possible what we've got now while being out of the EU. Can you please let us have that? That's, in a nutshell, it, what it, all these papers say. It does seem that every paper that's come out, there's like a page missing and that page says the best arrangement is the arrangement we've got now that yeah. is like mm. kind of the kind of not what's not said but like the customs agreement in particular yeah. it's very clear that actually what we've got now right between the lines was actually fine apart from we can't make our own yeah. trade deals which to, which to Brexit is is a big big deal so I totally get why they don't want to be part of the customs union but when you boil it down into how it's going to work but it, d- it does bring us back to the big problem which is these are these begging notes basically and ultimately it's going to be up to the, to Brussels and the EU 27 the rest of them to decide whether we get what we want well, I'm gonna, that's you know, in my opinion well, gonna, where this will land a lot of your sceptics will look at it and say no we've got strong cards here you know they sell more to us than we sell to them they've all always that said, that, they? said that but they, but they, they will look at it and they'll say genuinely you know, there's uh, there's a lot of countries now in Europe who will be wishing that Brussels weren't playing silly buggers and would get on with it and would start doing some grown-up politics here and stop trying to get the divorce bill sorted first and all that kind of stuff. So are we going to start seeing more pressure on Brussels from EU members, do we think, to start taking these things seriously? Or do you think that Michel Barnier is just going to be absolutely I think they're not going to change the line at all. No, They've agreed their line. He's their spokesman. They've set out very clearly their, their own position papers and they're basically saying to us, well, come up with your madcap schemes and we'll look at them. Their interventions are basically just going to be, well, this thing that you've suggested is nonsense, I think, on the whole. And the clock will tick down. That's Mm. the point. They've got time on their side and we don't. So let's move on to immigration now. Uh, There has been a sharp drop in the number of EU citizens coming to the UK to look for work, according to the latest figures. The statistics show net migration is at its lowest level for three years, and that's mainly due to EU citizens leaving and decreasing immigration across the board. At the end of March 2017, 275,000 had come to the UK, and that's obviously the net migration figure is a lot lower than it has been Previously, the government still want to get their net migration down to below 100,000. And one way they could do this is by looking at whether or not they count international students into that figure. The government have announced they're going to have a review of what the actual impact of international students on the UK are, not just in economic terms, but in cultural terms as well. Kate, you've been looking at this. So is this good news or bad news? It depends um, where you sit on this debate, really, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it depends, depends on your view. So... The crucial part of it, I think, is that a huge number, the number of EU citizens who have come to the UK to look for work rather than who have come for a specific job that they've already got has fallen by 39,000 compared to the same period last year, um, which is obviously pretty huge. Um, And um, that is kind of playing into um, the idea that a lot of our industries are going to suffer. Um, agriculture, construction, hospitality, as EU workers are less keen to come over here to get involved in our in our industries, then we're going to struggle to fill the gap. Um, so um, Vince Cable reckons that the damage is already starting to show um, to our economy. 
um, and he's he's branded it Brexodus, which Ooh, seems to now it, be a thing. Get it? Um, I don't like these, well, don't like these things. Puns, you hate puns. I, don't I hate you. ones like that. Go on. Brexodus. Well, Remainer. Right. Yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah. What's the one that Nick Clough tried to do? It's like a disbeliever or something. It was like a. <laughs> That's so a bridge a, too no, far. No, a Brenier or something. It was some nonsense. I wonder he lost his seat. <laughs> Idiots. Harsh. Um, Although good on paternity rights. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Um, so the Lib Dems are saying the government needs to act urgently. Um, to give assurances to skilled workers. Um, and Open Britain um, say that they're not surprised that EU citizens are choosing to leave the UK because thousands more have also left and gone back to their home countries. I think it's 51,000. Um, because... Is that, be, is that because they're, they've been, they're just put off by Brexit? Well, apparently some of them who, who are going to have the right to remain anyway are still receiving letters saying that they're going to be deported. There's oh, yeah, hundred letters there was 100 letters sent out. There was 100 sent out in error. Yeah. So which which arguing, really yeah. makes you confident they're going to be able to protest 3.2 million EU applications within two years. Exactly. So, largely, nobody really thinks this is great. Um, except, ex- surely... Well, the ONS, who put the figures out, have said that while it suggests that the referendum is having an effect, it's still too early to tell whether it's a long-term pattern. So, do we think it's like an initial panic from people? Or, or is this only going to get worse? I don't know. It's hard to tell, isn't it? Because, I mean, surely, uh, once this EU citizenship rights is sorted out, then there'll be a lot more security, won't there? There'll be a lot mm. more certainty And also, these figures are to March, end of March 2017. The yeah. statement on EU citizens' rights came out what, in June. Yeah. So that mm. would have come out afterwards. So we don't know if that would have had an effect. I know yeah. a lot of people did think that was a particularly amazing document. Personally, I thought it actually gave quite a lot of reassurance. But um, Yeah, I think that, that, I mean, you know, we've got a chap here who's Lithuanian, works at HuffPost. He's still very worried about what's going to happen to him and his family. He's been in Britain for 10 years. Um, you know, there are, people, there are lots of people like that, millions of them in Britain, who still don't know their status. And I think maybe that's, there's a ten, there's sense of that uncertainty if people are thinking right if I'm not sure what I've got here I might as well go back home so mm-hmm. there's probably a bit of that but we have said you say whether it's good or bad news don't forget this is actually really good news if you vote for Brexit and on grounds of immigration I thought and, no one voted on the grounds of immigration yeah, I, I, thought it. It was oh, all, I think some of them might have I thought it was all free trade and like getting a place have. back in the world this is what this is what Dan Hannon tells but me but if you if that's a message coming out look I voted for Brexit and the numbers yeah. are going thanks very much exactly. and, and maybe I'll have a better chance at getting this bricklaying job in my local community whatever yeah. um, um, you know, without my wages being undercut, z- z- you have to remember that at all times in this debate. Absolutely, and this is why when there's been a lot of talk, as there always is in the Westminster bubble amongst certain media outlets, that you know we need a second referendum and people's mind are being changed. I've not met a single person, a single commentator, a single MP who voted for Brexit who now is, is disagreeing with it. Remorse. Mm-hmm. Not yet, anyway. All the, they might do later, sure, but all the people at the moment who are looking at these reports and saying, this shows how difficult Brexit is, isn't Brexit terrible, are ones that are against Brexit anyway. Yeah. So but I talked to someone, um, a very canny person this week, uh, who said to me that the only point at which um, trade union members, for example, many of whom voted for Brexit, uh, rank and file, uh, workers in factories, the only point at which they will have buyer's remorse is if a big name employer comes out and says, right, we're pulling out, mm-hmm. we're closing that factory down. That's the only point at which it will get real. Uh, but even then, pe- the people who voted for Brexit may not may not have, think it's because of Brexit. They might think it's because of other reasons. But and I think we know there's and many we've yet to get to that point. Yeah, and there's many Brexiteers, particularly in the kind of... The Liverpool, the Liverpool, the Liberal Metropolitan Elite Brexiteers, who have said they're more than happy to see people losing their jobs so that they can have Brexit happen, which I think is just the most awful. Well, let's way wait and see. I really hope yet. some well, of them. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. They know I'm talking about. They're listening to this. 
Anyway, <laughs> sorry about that. It just annoys me. These people who jabbed his finger then, listen. He jabbed his finger. They're going to sacrifice other people's jobs also, and they alter their ideology. People might think it's me because you said Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want you to go on. Anyway, listen. It's August, isn't it? It right? is August. Mm. We love August. Which means political hacks have been struggling to find things to write about or they've gone on holiday. But don't worry, there's been a really good city season. Yep. Female-only train carriages. A Hollywood film based on Nigel Farage. The creation of a new anti-Brexit party. These are just some of the tales which have been getting more traction than usual. And one story, which certainly wound me up, was the fuss over Big Ben being silenced for four years while repair work is carried was out. Was that a deliberate pun? Wound me up. Oh, very no, good. No, it wasn't actually. Mm. So I'm not even, not even trying, on it? Anyway, some MPs were vehemently opposed to the plan, with Labour MP Stephen Pound holding a poignant vigil as the clock struck at midday on Monday for the last time for four years. And Mr Paul War was there, black armband complete, to talk to him. Here's a clip. What we really need to do is to talk about a recording or something that can be played from there that doesn't actually damage the ears of the workforce but allows that, that bomb to ring out across, across the city. Now, is, is it really that impossible? I mean, it's not the bell, it's the sound. It's, it's the sights, the sound and the vision that really matters. You ask anybody in the world what they think of this country, what they think about the democracy of our nation, and yet they will talk about this building and they'll talk about that tower. And then this, this place, this, that tower rose like a phoenix from the ashes after the fire of 1834. You know, the genius of, of Augustus Welby Pugin, you know, a, a child in chronological terms, but you know, a, a giant in, in architectural terms, created that, which is now respected all around the world. And the sound is part of it. We're and getting a bit nostalgic. Yes, we are. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Nostalgia ain't what it used to be, though, is it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this Big Ben thing. I don't want to talk about it too long. <laughs> but You're not happy, are you? I'm mi- do you know what? Are you in the Jess Phillips oh, camp? Do you think it's that? all a distraction? From what? The From time. the real world. Why do we want people to go deaf? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, listeners to this podcast might be wishing they were deaf. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I'm missing it lines? in Parliament. I'm missing it in Parliament. I'm actually, I'm actually missing, missing it. it. Can I say this? Yeah, I'm missing it. I was it. really against really? it. And then I'm, I'm missing it because you haven't got a reminder that it's no. bloody 12 o'clock well, or I've 1 not o'clock been or in, 4 o'clock. And it's, yeah, it's, 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 like, it's weird. like you've suddenly lost your clock. I know that anybody who doesn't work in Westminster, which is like all three of our listeners, will be thinking, I do not care about this. I know. And you're right not to care. But it is like being, I mean, all right, it's not Go Hogwarts, on. but it is like being at school and the, and the school bell going off at four o'clock, suddenly not going off. Yeah. It's like, you, know, you can well, never you leave. Do? I've been working around the clock. I don't want to go. <laughs> we know that's not true. Anyway, the other one was Jacob Rees-Mogg as the next Tory leader was the thing. Here's a, here's a clip of him not quite ruling it out. I can't deny that it's um, uh, flattering to have people say these very generous things, uh, but it isn't realistic that I can't think of an occasion in British history when the party of government has chosen uh, its leader, and therefore the Prime Minister, from outside the front bench, and certainly not from somebody who's never been on the front bench. So it's, it's enjoyable uh, summer talk, but I wouldn't take it too seriously. You're not tempted in the future whenever there is that leadership contest. Uh, well, I'm, may Mrs. May live forever. Amen, amen, alleluia, alleluia, amen. So, J- Jacob Rees-Mogg, I, you've got to love him. That story, the reason I love that story is because Labour MPs were rubbing their hands with glee at the mm. very idea that he could even be a runner. Because let's be honest, if he, J- Jacob Rees-Mogg, were 
and we can't rule it out, ever to become Tory leader, it'd be like all your Christmases come true if you're a Labour supporter yeah, or a Labour yeah, MP. The Tories would have said that about Jeremy Corbyn. No, this is my point. This oh, is, sorry. I'm just coming sorry, to this. Folks, sorry, I'm just coming to this. Because, you know, from the opposition's point of view, this is great. You've got a double-barreled name. He's had a nanny. He's a toff. He, he speaks in this most ridiculously Victorian way. Um, how out of touch is that? And they're thinking, right, we'll get shed loads of votes. But, and there is a but, which is as with Corbyn, you know, yeah. be careful of what you wish for. Cult because figures. actually he does yeah. have a cult following. Yeah. And people might say, well, at least he's got integrity. He's, you know, it's he's authentic. a true parliamentarian. He's not putting it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he's a true Brexiteer. Let's not forget that. Do you think he'd give his cabinet members like ridiculous nicknames? <laughs> Allah, his children. Allah? Oh, no, yeah. Not Allah. Oh, right. Oh, right. <laughs> it's one of his kids Got called Sixmas. Don't say it. No, it doesn't leave us on I just wanted to say, silly season, the reason I love the silly season is because it's official. In the Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, what? since the 19th century, the word silly season is applied. And it's defined as that part of the year when Parliament and the law courts are not sitting. Really? Oh. It's been with us a long time. Wow. So newspapers have been doing silly season stories for a hell of a long time. Oh, so we're part about. of a long tradition, all these stories. And, you know, I, I particularly love the Daily Mail story from years ago, which uh, there's always a spurious study in the silly season. And this was my favourite spurious study. One in four wives is so jealous when the husband drops off to sleep as soon as his head hits the pillow that she promptly wakes him up again. Oh, wow. <coughs> Don't you love that story? I like that. Yeah. It's yeah. a classic. That that is, great. Is a, well, look, speaking of long traditions, the quiz. Go on. That I've just this ruined. Is the, this is based on the names of Jacob Rees-Mogg's children. Oh. Oh. I'm going to give you some names. You said this is possibly the best quiz you've ever drafted. Just bear with, bear with me, listener. I met, I spoke to another listener the other day on the phone. Someone rang me up. He said, anyway, I'm just getting distracted. Listen, now, I'm going to give you the name, and you've got to tell me if this is the name of one of Jacob Rees-Mogg's children or a character of Harry Potter. Mm. Oh, Now, okay. this if is it's good. one of Jacob Rees-Mogg's children, they're a muggle. Uh, if they're hey. one of Harry Potter, they're a muggle. I like That's it. not bad. I like it. Come on. That's not it's bad. It's good, yeah. Thank you. Okay, ready? Okay, here we go. Newton Artemis Fido Scamander. That's a muggle. Even though it's not a muggle, it's a... Yeah, muggle. Wizard or something. Muggle. muggle. You don't reckon it's one of his kids? No. no. Okay, you're right. Yes. This was... Apparently they're the son of a hippogriff breeder. A what? I don't know. They did something in the Ministry of Magic. Come okay. on. Next one. Okay, on. next one. Nicholas de Mimsey Porpington. That's a muggle. That sounds like a muggle to me. I think that's a mug child. Mug child. What are you saying, Kate? I'm saying it's not. Nearly Headless Nick's real name in Harry Potter. Yes. Okay, okay. Anselm Anselm Charles Fitzwilliam. That's got to be a mog. That's a mog. Anselm. That that is a mog. That is a mog. Okay. Anselm. Alfred Wolfric Layson Pius. I think that's a, a muggle as well. You think that's one of his kids? I do, yeah. I think it's Harry Potter. That is one of his kids. Yes! <gasps> on fire here. Uh, Cornelius Agrippa. Ooh. Hmm. I think that's a muggle as well, because Agrippa is sort of classical, isn't it? I'm going to say he that's a classical. muggle. What do you think? M- muggle. I can't tell with your accent. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Harry Potter. Not a mug. I'm going to say a mug. <laughs> it was Harry Potter. Oh. It's yes! someone who was on a wizard card. Can we just... Uh, Can we just and say I'm... Um, oh. f- you are very good at and this. And finally, so far, Peter Theodore Alfage. 
What? How do you say the last bit? Alfidge. Alfidge. A L P H E G E. I think that's Alfidge. A mog. It's a mog. That's got to be a mog. A moggy. Yeah, that is a moggy. Whoa. Oh my God. Kate 100%. 100%. Well done. For the first time ever. And the other ones. GCSE in Mog's Kids. With Thomas Wentworth, Somerset, Dunstan. Mary Ann, Charlotte, Emma. Uh, and the most recent edition, recent edition, <laughs> Sixtus Dominic Boniface Christopher. I love Sixtus. Sixtus. Yeah, yeah. and he denies that it's because it's his sixth kid. You should like have, that. you should have called your. I like that. It's nothing to do with the fact that he's the sixth. Madness. Should have called your dog Sixtus. <laughs> Leave my dog out of it. Yeah, Paul's got a new dog. He's, oh, he's, 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 he is a great like a baby. Dog. He comes lovely. in, he says to me, "Oh, Owen, do you know what it's like to have something that wakes you up during the night because you got to like." do something so it goes to the toilet and I was like yeah I've got a 40 month old baby I know exactly what <laughs> it's not. much tougher with a dog anyway, yeah, anyway hello Oscar if you're listening Aww. mental that's four listeners right okay this is that's that was this week's podcast it's, it's a slightly no it's not one. this not week's it. podcast at all is there not oh no there's nothing else isn't there yeah. I forgot there's another story this to talk is about. really as live reader yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's not only about Jacob Reese mob being the new Tory leader Mr. Paul War, who should be over there, hello, has hello. a story on who the next Labour leader is going to be. Well, to. hot off the press, or rather <laughs> on, online, Emily Thornbury is being backed by none other than Len McCluskey dun, as, dun, as the dun. next Labour leader, after Jeremy Corbyn, obviously. Now, the point is, Len had a chat with some people. He's long been an admirer of Emily Thornbury, um, but he's been telling friends recently that she's got the 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 metal she's got the guts that she's got the decision making ability to sort of um, unify Labour once Jeremy decides he's going to go now the big caveat to this is no one's saying Jeremy's going to go and it all has to go as anyone knows Len McCluskey is one of Jeremy Corbyn's biggest fans so he's not saying get rid of Jeremy Corbyn but there's a lot of future planning going on as everyone knows every smart politician and every smart party has to plan for the future and so they're trying to embed Corbynism for the long term this is what this is about and they think the next Labour leader's got to be a woman that's kind of taken as red now if it's going to be a woman who's it going to be which wing of the party who's got best chance of unifying the Corbyn wing the new members and the sort of MPs in the old wing and let's be honest Emily Thornbury has shown at deputy as in Prime Minister's questions when she's deputised a certain sass that has mm. appealed to a lot of Labour members yeah, she's also she, she does rub people up the wrong way as well though she comes across as quite arrogant and quite haughty and quite sanctimonious doesn't she she comes across as very Islington doesn't she that's the thing a lot of uh, people MPs certainly in the PLP think like that but what's been interesting is she's steadily rebuilt her reputation since the infamous St George's flag tweet where Ed which Miliband, she still hasn't deleted which Ed Fair Miliband mm. uh, yeah exactly yeah. Ed Miliband fired her for effectively yeah. um, and I think a lot of people on the left respected her for the fact that she you know they thought she was badly treated during that and she's slowly but surely you know she's anti-trident tick she's pro members getting more of a say on in, in the party tick um she's a woman definite big tick and crucially on foreign policy she's in tune with virtually everything corbyn wants whether it's saudi arabia being tough with them whether it's being tough with trump whether it's ridiculing boris She's been pretty effective at that in the chamber. And, yeah, Deputy uh, Prime Minister's questions, she's effectively Deputy Prime Minister's mm -hmm. questions. She, it's not Tom Watson, don't forget, who is the official Deputy Labour leader uh, who takes that. It's Emily Thornbury. And she's done a pretty good job. She's um, got an unclear position mm, on Brexit. You know. Check. Yeah. <laughs> and the really interesting thing, and I just want to throw this out there, Go on. is that I talked to someone today who is a young person who really fancies Emily Thornbury. This is a bloke, right? And the reason he fancies her, it's interesting, he um, 
used to walk past uh, when he was a student her constituency office and she'd be having a fag outside oh my god and no, okay and, yeah. and 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 he thought how cool is that mp has fag and doesn't care about it and the fact that she swears like a trooper i mean we all know she says bollocks in the chamber and yeah. then said it under her breath and she said it on tv to michael Fallon. so this person thinks that that combination of hers just being no nonsense smoking gravelly voice slightly sexy you know is this young person's name paul Warbeck? no <laughs> <laughs> I'm not young, so I'm, I'm out of that equation. Oh, is it anyone we know? No, it's someone we know we know. Anyway, it's, it's a friend of a Emily, friend. So I used to smoke, right, and I've, I gave up years ago, but yeah. after I've had a drink, sometimes I have a cigarette. And at the Labour Party conference last year, Emily Thornby gave me a cigarette. I just like, remember. There you go. So she, that young person is you. Yeah, she's literally someone who would give you a cigarette, so maybe we should there vote. You See, I'm telling you, this is the kind of thing cool. that matters. She, she is another kind of cult figure again, isn't yeah. she? Especially yeah. after our last PMQ's performance. Yeah. Oh God, look, no, stop it. We're doing silly season again. We're really going for it now. Oh. Okay, yeah. It's not so silly, though. This is the point. Yeah. Look, the story about Len McCloskey is he's a big figure. If she can get union, get trade unionists time, behind yeah. her, as well as party members, I'm, I'm serious, it's not a joke. Put your Emily shirt Thornbury. on it. Put your shirt on it, people. Emily Thornbury go. to be the next leader of the Labour Party and apparently FHM's most fanciful woman. So uh, you heard it and, here first. And Marlborough woman, by the sounds yeah, of there we are. Uh, right, okay, we'll be back next week with... You won't be here, will you, Kate? No. Will Rachel and Ned be back? Right, Rachel and or Ned. Ned's not here, is he? No, he's not. Rachel will be. Rachel will be here when she's any good. Find some common sense in this bloody excuse for a podcast. Right, thanks so much, everyone. See you later. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.